Good morning. Today's scripture reading is taken from Psalms 103, verses 6 to 14. Verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. This is the word of God. Good morning. For those of you who do, for those of you who do not know me, um, my name is Desmond. Um, most of you know me as a missionary to Indonesia, and some of you even asked me up till about a month ago. Uh, so when are you going back to Indonesia? Uh, are you here on a holiday? Uh, let me just quickly share with you that I've been back here since 2012. <laughs> I've been serving in Singapore Bible College as one of the professors there. And I recently uh, stepped down uh, from my position as well as uh, taking a brief time of uh, rest to get my health back and to redirect. So please pray for me as I seek the Lord uh, for the future uh, direction that I would like to go to, or He would like me to go to. Today is Father's Day, and uh, I want to wish all fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, godfathers, and also those of you who are spiritual fathers, a very blessed Father's Day. As I think about this uh, assignment that was given to me by Pastor Ian, and thank you very much, Pastor Ian, for this invitation, I couldn't help but uh, realize how audacious uh, I've been taking up this invitation to speak on Father's Day. For one, uh, my father passed away when I was 14 years old. So all that I have about a father figure is really from my friends and also from my church uh, friends here. Some of you have really fathered me uh, and I am grateful for that. And the other thing is this, I do not have biological children of my own. And so therefore, how can someone who has no idea of what a father is, earthly father is like, as well as someone who didn't have children talk about fatherhood. And of all things else, talk about the theology of the fatherhood. And so therefore, I want you to know that this sermon, with a caveat, uh, is based out of my experiences with God the Father, and as well as my experiences through fostering. Some of you know that I have a little girl that I'm fostering for the last three years. We are into the fostering um, journey for the last probably five or six years. We've fostered two children so far, and my current girl is still with me, and uh, she probably will be returned back to 
a home or extended family in August this year. So because of that, I want you to know that I do understand the struggles of a father because it is tough to be a dad today. You have bills to pay, right? At least uh, I just found out from Pastor Ian today is the International Day for Remittance. So you have bills to pay, and not only just that, but you have bosses to please, for those of us who are working. And certainly, you have babies to pamper and change diapers, and babies to placate when they're screaming in our sanctuary. And let me just say this to fathers and parents who have babies here in the sanctuary and all that. Thank you for allowing us to share the joy with you and the struggles with you. So therefore, my question to you is, how can we remain joyful in the midst of all these pressures you know, that uh, we have to live out the roles that we have? And because there, there are hardly, like for me, for, for a person like myself, there's hardly any role models, or even there's no manuals, or there's no handbooks, there's no guides to lead us, to direct us to tell us what's the best practices of fathering. So my question again is, who can be a perfect role model for you and I, for those of us who are fathers or even spiritual fathers? Which is why I'd like to turn our attention to today's psalm that I've picked up for all of us. But before that, let me remind us that we're going through a series Two weeks ago, Pastor Oli has uh, shared with us the importance of rest as shalom, as peace. Then last week, we learned that for those of us who are in Christ, we do not have to fear God because perfect love casts out fear. But all those rest and fear is centered on who this God is, right? Who is this God who gives us the rest? And who is this God who casts out the fears that we have? So therefore, it's vital for us to understand who this God is. And I turn our attention right now to Psalm 103. And this is a psalm written many, many, many years ago by King David. And by now, he is probably an older man. Looking back at all his past successes, but also his failures. And he's telling his children and to the nation of Israel about the struggles that he goes through. But the thing is this, Psalm 103 is known to be Psalm of worship and praise. It's a series of Psalms starting from 103 to 106, whereby you begin with praise the Lord or bless the Lord. And God is known as God the Father in this psalm. But I want you to know that in the Old Testament, the imagery of God as Father is actually very, very few. If you were, these are all the verses that either directly or indirectly refer to God as the Father. And even though He is referred to God as the Father, The thing is this, most of the time, he's referred to God as the father of Israel, not a personal father. 
And so therefore, today as we discover for ourselves the biblical portrait of God as the Father, I want all of us to understand that we are looking at this psalm as a means to understand who this God is so that we can get a good role model for ourselves. This psalm begins with the word, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And bless the Lord again, His holy name. The psalm is divided into three parts. It begins with an individual praise by David himself from verses 1 to 5. He talks about the grace that God has given to him, or shown to him. Then we move on to Israel from verses 6 to 18. He talks about this love that God has for his people. Then we move not only just from the individual to Israel, now we, I call it international or global. He talks about all of God's creation and that we are to praise Him, and that's taken from verses 19 to 22. So let's go quickly into the, the text and let's understand a little bit more about who this God is and why we should bless Him and why He is a perfect role model for you and I today. The first thing that you'll discover and follow through your notes as well is that we bless God because He gives graciously. The psalmist begins by saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. This is a reminder not only to Israel when David publicly declares this to his people, but it is also David's way of reminding himself that he is prone to forget all the benefits that God has given to him. And so therefore, he lists down in a series, in the next three verses, verses three to five, a series of things that God has done that he can praise God for. All that God has done that he can praise God for. And he goes on from verses 3 to 5. Who forgives all your iniquity. Now this is a God who resolves. When I say resolves, that means he, he dissolves, he cuts away, he cancels out. He's the God who forgives, not only just forgives, he forgives all your sins, all your iniquities. This is a God who does not look at you and say that, you know what, two years ago you did something wrong and I still remember it and I want to punish you for it. This is the God who resolves. And not only does he resolves, he continues, oops, <laughs> he also continues, you know what, I'll just give it all to you. This is the God who repairs. He heals you. Let me give a caveat here as well. When when the scripture tells you he heals all your diseases, this is an imagery of really someone who embraces you. The, the idea of healing all your iniquity has the imagery of someone nurturing and embracing you. Not so much as every single disease that you have, he can heal. Of course he can, but this idea of healing all your diseases is about the idea of nurturing and repairing your body. 
And he continues on again in verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. This is a God not only just who resolves, not only just repairs, but now he rescues you. Perhaps David is now thinking about the time that he was running away from Saul. Perhaps he's thinking about even his forefather. If you remember Joseph being betrayed by his brothers and being thrown into the pit. Perhaps he's thinking about those things. This is the God who rescues him. And he continues on by saying this, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. This is the God who rewards you. He doesn't just look away from your sins. He doesn't just repass you. He doesn't just rescue you. Now He rewards you. He gives you. He co-shares, in fact, some of His glory with you. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Mind you, this is King David speaking. This is not an average joke. This is King David speaking. And to say that God crowns him is from a position of a high position. Now he's recognizing that God is even higher than him. And God doesn't just crown him with a physical crown. He crowns him with steadfast love and mercy. And this is a God who also reveals him. What do I mean by that? He says, he who satisfies you with good. The word here, good, can mean good things or it could mean goodness. He satisfies you, He fills you with His goodness, His mercy, His love, His compassion, His protection. And finally, this is a God who refreshes you. And here, He uses the word, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The idea of soaring like the eagle, the idea that eagles are able to soar with little effort is painted here for all of us. So this is a God who gives generously to you and I. The question I have for you and I here today, especially for fathers, is this. Do we give graciously to our own children? No, I'm not talking about the iPads that they want. And no, no, I'm not also talking about giving them the toys that they're asking for and begging you to, or buying the, the ticket to BTS uh, concert somewhere in Korea. But really, to give generously. One of the reasons why we went into this journey of fostering is because we really want to experience this idea of giving. We may not have a lot. And some people may even say that, you know, that's Wendy, you know, my wife is there, you know. You're into fostering because you don't have children and you wanted to have children. I said, yeah, maybe that will be the case if we are still in our 30s when we still have energy. But when you're in your 40s and turning close to 50, when your body is degenerating, <laughs> when you're tired, you don't want to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning to prepare breakfast and wake up the girl at 6 o'clock, comb her hair, make sure that she brushes her teeth, and send her to school and pick her up 
and all those other stuff. No? Parents, you know that. You've been there, you've done that. But one of the reasons why fostering for me is important is because it's a reflection of the generosity that God has given to you and I. And that generosity is also gracious. Giving grace to a child that has not experienced grace is important. And sometimes our children may hurt us with their words or even without their words. And this is where we as fathers, as parents, we need to ask ourselves, as we see God the Father as the role model, can we give generously, not despite all the things that they have done, but in spite of all those things that they have done. That we continue to nurture them. We continue to give. We continue to look away from their sins. We continue to even think about all the things that God has done because He has resolved our sins. He repairs, He rescues, He rewards, He refuses, and also He refreshes us. So therefore, do we give graciously? But this is not just for David himself. Remember, this is him talking to Israel, referring to himself. Now his attention is moving towards Israel as a nation, as a people group. And here we read in the next part, next portion of this psalm, verses 6 to 18. And the second reason he tells us why God is a great role model for all of us and why we should bless his holy name is because we bless him because he simply loves us lavishly. Verses 6 to 8. The word here is steadfast love or in Hebrew, hesed. This is repeated in this portion, but it's repeated four times. Earlier on, we have one more verse, I believe that was taken in verse 3. And in fact, this steadfast love is repeated in verse 8, 11, and 17. Let me read that for you right now. Verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. In verse 11, he says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And verse 17 tells us, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. So how does God demonstrate, reveal, show his steadfast love, his hesed love. Scripture tells us here in this portion here, tells us that in verse 6, he cares for the oppressed in verse 6. The oppressed could mean, in this case, those who are marginalized in Israel. It could mean also the orphans, the widows, in fact, in, in another psalm, it says he's the father to the fatherless. 
That is the verse that um, the group that I'm with, fostering group that I'm with, the Christian fostering group that I'm with is called Home for Good Singapore. And we use that as the key verse to encourage us in this journey of fostering. He's a God to those who are oppressed. He demonstrates His hesed love to those who are oppressed. But not only just for those who are oppressed, but also to the people of Israel, His chosen people, the apple of His eye. In verses 7 to 10, that, those few things are listed down for us. In fact, it is a laundry list of those failures that Israel has done. If you were to look carefully what he has said here in verses 7 to 10, he said, He has made known his way to Moses, his act to the people of Israel. But what happened to them? Later on, I'll show you the laundry list of the failures that they've done. And he immediately continues from verse 7 to say that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. He said that because he knew that these people have goofed up. He knew that these people have failed time and again. He knew that these people are stiff-necked and stone-hearted. He knew that these people would have prostituted themselves with Baal and the other gods in the ancient Near East. In many ways, you and I are like the people of Israel. And yet God chose to love us and to love us lavishly. But in this case, He didn't just end there. He continues on, David continues on by telling us that this steadfast love has a caveat. And caveat is what? If you notice again, verses 11, 13, and 17, he says, it is for those who fear him and for those who keeps his covenant and his commandments. Let me read that for you in verse 18. He says here, in fact, let me read for you verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Again, the call to remember zakah, to remember what God has done. But yet, these people are prone to forget. Just as David began this psalm by saying that forget not his benefits, again he refrains, he tells them to remember the commandments, God's commandments. My question to you here today is, in spite of the fact that we are prone to forget God's goodness and God's mercy and God's loving kindness, God still loves us and loves us lavishly. Can we, do we love lavishly to our children? Or is our love a transactional love? I've heard this many times. Even me, myself, I tell my girl, I say, if you eat your vegetables, and fill in the blanks. If you behave yourself, fill in the blanks. If you don't hit someone in school, fill in the blanks. You can go bouncing castle, right? In Tampines, one hub is free. 
Let me confess. This is not a time for guilt trip, but let me just confess to you right now. It is so hard to love unconditionally and lavishly. It is so, so hard. A lot of people say that, you know, oh, you, you give so much to this, this fostering, you know, through this fostering journey. The truth is this. Let me tell you that, in fact, I think my girl, many of you know her name. I couldn't say her name here publicly. This is recorded, I suppose. So, <laughs> the thing is this. She has given and taught me so much about God's love that I couldn't even express that even in this sermon. When I think about my own needs and how she misbehaves, and boy, I tell you, the last six months has been tough for Wedi and I. She's been uh, suspended twice in school. She's uprooted a tree. She's ran away from school. She's beaten up a P6 girl. She's terrorized my dog. Um, <laughs> broken lots of stuff at home. The list goes on. I find myself very, you know, my, my love with her is transactional. If she behaves, then I'll be nice to her. I see a lot of people nodding your head. <laughs> but God's love is not transactional. David reminds Israel that his love is lavish, generous, giving, nurturing. He forgets and forgives. That's amazing. I can still remember the first time she poked, my, my little girl poked the eyes of my dog. And uh, till now, my dog lives in terror of little children because of that incident. I cannot forget that. But God does. And that's amazing for, for me. Not only do we bless God's name because God gives generously and graciously, we also bless God's name because He loves us lavishly. But is there more? Is there more? Can I have the next slide, please? <laughs> we bless God's name because He rules righteously. And this is coming to the end of the psalm, verses 19 to 22. Let me read for you verses 19 and 20. It says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. God is the Father of and also the king over all. If you were to notice in this entire psalm, there's another constant refrain, apart from the word has set love and fear, is the word all. David is reminding Israel that this is not just a God of Israel. This is a global, international God. This is a God of the universe. In fact, the word all is repeated again and again in this just last few verses. He, he reminds them that he's king over all his kingdoms. And this is a king who is ceding his kingship and his land 
and acknowledging that His kingdom belongs to God's ultimate kingdom. Not only just that, He also reminds the people of Israel that God the Father is king over all His hosts. And host includes not only just His angels, but all those heavenly beings that are being described to us, the cherubims and seraphims, and all those hosts. And the word host can also mean the stars, the moons in heaven. And of course, He's also the Father and King over all His works, His creation. And finally, finally, His dominion. And my question to you is, does God rule over all our lives? Do we allow Him to be the King in our family? Or is uh, Netflix and the King of Thrones? What's it called? Throne of Kings. <laughs> I, I don't watch that. What? Game of Thrones. Thank you very much. It reveals my ignorance. <laughs> the king over your entire family. So therefore, we bless God because He gives. We, we bless God because He loves. And we bless God because He rules. And Israel is supposed to follow this God king. However, we have a problem here. If you have been hearing my, what I've been saying again, I've been saying that we are prone to forget. We are prone to wonder. David said that forget not all his benefits in verse 2, right? Because why? He does not treat us according to what our sins deserve, what we have done. But the saddest truth is this. Israel did not listen to their king, their earthly king. Let me list for you just as a sample of all the things that they have done. In fact, if you were to look at this dirty laundry list, you realize that Israel has failed miserably. In fact, Allow me to read just from 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 and 16. It says here, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by His messenger, messengers because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising His words and scoffing at His prophets. Until... The wrath of God, the wrath of the Lord, rose against His people until there was no remedy. Israel continued to fail. And God said, enough. Enough. So we do know in history, in 722 BC, the Assyrians came and took the ten kingdoms away. We do know that in 586 BC, Jerusalem fell, Judah fell, 
the Babylonians took them in captivity. But God is still gracious. He allowed a remnant to come back and re-establish the second temple. And then we moved on to our time. We move on to the time of Jesus in the New Testament. Because in the fullness of time, God sent His one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became the sin for you and I. In the fullness of time, the Word became flesh and quite literally pitched His tents with us, dwelt with us, so that He can wine and dine and live His life with us. But there is a purpose behind what Jesus came to do. In fact, the very first few words that Jesus uttered as a young boy after going through Bar Mitzvah, he was going to Jerusalem. If you remember the narrative in, in the Gospel of Luke, well, he wasn't lost. His parents lost him. And <laughs> when they found him, this was his response. He said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? What? This is the first time Jesus mentions this idea that God is His Father. And not only just that, He continues on throughout His earthly ministry and He taught His disciples, and we all know this, the Lord's Prayer, and He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. He performed miracles that only God the Father could have done. He walked on water, calmed the storms, fed the 5,000, caused the lepers to be healed, allowed the blind to see, and hey, you know what? He even raised people from the dead. And yet, the people, His people, refused to acknowledge Him. And which is why, he was then crucified. And just before he did that, again, this level of intimacy was mentioned in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so they led him to the cross. But thanks be to God, even though at the cross he cried out, not Abba, Father, and anymore, but now, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsake Jesus because he wanted you and I to return to him, to his bosom, to return to him as God the Father. And so he looked away, and the full wrath of God came upon Jesus and he was kneeled and died on the cross for you and my, my sin. But thanks be to God also, he rose again on the third day. And Jesus didn't just stop there. 
introducing this God as Father, he continues by saying this. Jesus said to them these words towards the end when he revealed himself to his disciples. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is just before he was even crucified. And he's reminding them that the Holy Spirit will be with us today. So therefore, for those of us who know Jesus and trust Him as our Lord and our Savior, we have good news because now it is possible. It's possible to have God as our Father and as a role model for us to love and care for our children, to love lavishly, to give graciously, and to rule righteously. Because Paul reminds us in Romans 8, 15, and I'm just reading from the second part, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I began by saying that it is tough to be fathers today. Remember, bills to pay, bosses to please, babies to pamper. And I've directed our attention to this God in Psalm 103 as a means for us to see God as our Father, as a role model. As a young man without an earthly father, my role models were the movies, my friends in the army, my platoon mates, and later on, my bosses, Thanks be to God, I found God in Australia when I was a student there. In fact, the guy who discipled me will be coming next week. He just texted me before the sermon. He said, let's meet up after we have not met for over, what, 25 years or so. And he said that, you know, let's meet up. You see, you and I, even though we may not have an earthly father like myself, or perhaps like what Pastor Ian says, your father may not be the most beautiful, perfect father that Hollywood paints for us. He may be missing. He may be abusive. But yet we have God, the Father, as our Father. Just the past week has been tough for me. Tough not because I, in fact, I just returned from Batam and I'll be leaving in about four hours' time to Batam again to continue on with the church camp um, of another church. Um, <laughs> but it was tough because one of my, my friends, one of his friends, colleague for, for many, many years, um, husband was found floating, his body was found floating in Kalang River just the past week. Foul play was uh, suspected because he didn't die of drowning. He had a 14-year-old son when I was around my age as well. And the son asked me this question in a funeral. I had to conduct the funeral because there's no church who want to do that for them because his, her husband is not a Christian, but the wife and the son, they are the believers. So I had to go through the funeral rites and all those uh, stuff, and 
the son asked me towards the end um, and said that I don't have a father now. And I paused for a long time and I asked myself this question. I said, it is true, this, this young man will not have a father, an earthly father. But I said to him, you know what? God, the heavenly father, will be your father. We live in a very broken world, my dear friends. May God, the Father, who loves you, who gives to you, and who rules over you, be your Father. So help us, God. Let's rise for the song of response. But let's also uh, close this time in prayer, uh, dedicate uh, what we've heard from His Word to Him. Let's pray together. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for uh, the reminder this morning uh, that this idea of fatherhood is something that um, is unusual is not to be taken for granted because uh, over and beyond mere biological ties, the idea of nurturing one another, of being there to provide and to resolve, to restore, is something that is so precious, is something that uh, we can do for one another because you have done that for us. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your love. Thank you for demonstrating what it means uh, to be there for someone uh, when they need a hand. And we pray that as a church, we will continue to be fathers for one another. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. Oh, that. 